What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Now, I do want to address the Twitter situation real quick off the top because there's a chance when I go to post the show on Monday, the site may be down. I might not be able to share it on Twitter. So we have a plan in place at Sports Ethos. All of our stuff, in the event that Twitter does crash, will move into the Discord. And of course, the website is still there, sportsethos.com, where you can find all of our stuff. But we do a lot of work on Twitter as well, less formal work, not necessarily in articles, but just a lot of threads. I do a ton. Dan Bespris does a ton. Uh, and there's other people as well within the company who put a lot of information on Twitter. That's not going to be going away. It's just going to be moved to the Discord. So if you haven't already joined up in the Discord, you can find the link on Dan Bespris' Twitter account at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Or you can send me a DM at JoeOrico99. We'll get you added up in there. And it'll be like nothing changed, really. I mean, it'll be different, sure. Uh, but essentially, it'll be the same thing. Just a forum for us to post our thoughts, our podcasts, our articles, all that different stuff. So... Fear not, Sports Ethos is still going to be here after what could be the rapture. Uh, we will still be producing the same content. It'll just be sent out in perhaps a slightly different way, but it'll all still be the same stuff. Now, today we are going to continue and actually conclude our outfield review shows. This is number seven. This is going to wrap it up for us. There are still obviously more outfielders that we could go over uh, once we're getting into deeper, deeper rounds, but we're not going to worry about them for now. We spent a long time on outfielders. We're going to be moving into pitching starting next week. We're going to do some ADP check-ins, uh, looking at early ADP, see what makes sense, see what doesn't make sense. But we are going to be generally moving into pitchers starting next week, probably on Tuesday, maybe for Wednesday. Uh, I've mentioned that Michael Simeone is going to join the show we're going to record on Tuesday, and it probably will be posted Wednesday. So I think Monday, Tuesday will be kind of a review of ADP, where we stand so far. Maybe one show for position players, one show for pitchers, that sort of thing. But we're going to wrap up outfielders right now. There's six more guys that I think are really worth going over, and we're going to start with Cody Bellinger. Now, he is definitely polarizing, Cody Bellinger. We are really not sure what to expect with him anymore. Obviously, he was an MVP caliber player for a couple of seasons. And then when the 2020 year hit, I don't know what happened to him exactly. He went from a guy who was hitting 260 and then 300 in his MVP season down to somebody who's batting 239. Last year it was 165. This year it was 210. Now, I still have some faith that Bellinger can regain his form from a couple of years ago. Now, maybe he's never going to be that MVP caliber player again. He's probably not at this point. I mean... It doesn't look like he is, but I think he can definitely still be better than what we've seen these last couple of years, batting close to 200, you know, not really so much power after having a ton of power in his first couple of seasons, 39 homers, 25 homers, 47 homers, and then we have 12, 10, and 19 the last three years. Obviously, that 12 is a little bit skewed because it was in a short year, but it's been a real downward trajectory for Cody Bellinger. Heading into the season, he was being drafted on average at pick 105. He finished as the 214th ranked player on Yahoo. Now, his early ADP is at 202 right now. It feels kind of all right. I don't feel strongly about it really one way or the other. I think at that range, it's probably not going to hurt you so much. I don't think he'll be back in Los Angeles. I believe he's still under contract, uh, but I think that he is likely not going to be returning to Los Angeles. Uh, let me see here. Yes, I believe he still has a contract for the season, but there is a lot of talk about he's going to be traded. Um, 
yeah, I think he is a non-tender candidate most likely, which is which is just crazy, right? Considering the path that he was on. Now, in terms of drafting him, I think I think it's all right in this in this range. Generally, we've talked yesterday about guys who are going kind of in a similar range. Uh, Alex Verdugo, we've mentioned quite a bit. He's going a few picks below him. Brandon Nimmo going a few picks above him. Uh, as we go down, Lars Newbar, Ramon Laureano. There's some guys that I like a bit more, especially because it's just such a wild card with Cody Bellinger. Like he could potentially get worse next season. I don't think that there's much worse he could really get, but he could go back to batting 160 something. He could hit less than 20. I mean, this season he still had fantasy relevance, and I'm worried that maybe he doesn't next year. Maybe he does. That's the thing. He is one of the biggest wild cards in all of baseball. He still had fantasy value this season. 19 home runs, 14 stolen bases. That'll play, despite the low batting average. He had 70 runs, 68 RBIs. He was still somebody that you were going to be rostering. You weren't going to be dropping him outside of maybe the most shallow formats. I just don't know what we can really expect from him. There's been some talk about the Blue Jays bringing him in. I think that would be pretty interesting. I don't think that we should do it to replace Teoscar Hernandez as a one-for-one swap. I think that would be a clear downgrade. It would not make any sense. I think if he's a fourth outfielder on the Blue Jays for his career, that would probably make the most sense. Now, fantasy-wise, that's not going to do us very much good at all. I just don't know with Cody Bellinger right now is the main is the main point. He could be great. He could be terrible, which is, of course, really what we're looking at with everybody. Everybody could be great or could be terrible in a given year, but he, he is just such an unknown at this point where I, I can't really see myself going and getting him anywhere above this range. If you're in this range, we've talked about how outfielders thin out. Let's say you only have two outfielders at this point. You really need to start adding them in. I wouldn't be so opposed to taking him here. Now, his minimum pick, 151, that's insanity to me. That's way too high. The max pick, 245. At that point, sure, I don't have any problem with it. He's still going to be somebody likely who's going to give you decent home runs, decent stolen bases, and I mean, I don't know where he's going to play, but you figure the counting stats will be all right if he's in the starting lineup, a guy with decent speed like him. Again, I know I've said it a few times now, but we just don't know. Uh, I really am going to hold off on making predictions for Cody Bellinger until, first of all, we know where he's playing. We know the situation. There's a lot of factors that are going to go into his value. And right now, it's hard to tell anything with him. So uh, at 210, he's okay. I think he's he's fine, honestly. But it's really going to depend. If he signs as a fourth outfielder somewhere, it's probably not going to be returning anywhere near top 200 value. So... It's one of the risks with drafting at this point in the season. I know most people don't. I know most of you guys listening are just diehard baseball fans. You just want to hear a little bit about some players or whatever. Maybe you are drafting, uh, but it's definitely risky at this point to be taking a guy who is such such an unknown in many different factors, location, production. Uh, I'm If I had to say one or the other, I'm just going to stay away from him given you know if I take outfielders early enough where I don't have to really be panicking at this stage, uh, that would be the wiser choice, I think, with Cody Bellinger. The next guy is Byron Buxton. Now, Byron Buxton is another one of these very troubling players to project year in and year out. He played in 100, or what did he play this year? 92 games, 92 games. He had 28 home runs. He had 51 ribbies. He stole six bases, and I think most of those came in the second half, those steals. Uh, He batted 224, and he had 61 runs. For the time played, You'll, you'll absolutely take it. But considering he was going at pick 57 overall this year on Yahoo's uh, ADP board, he was 57.5. He finished as the 236th overall player. 
and it's just injuries, right? That's really the main thing with Byron Buxton. If he's going to be out there, it doesn't even really matter if he's stealing bases because the power is so elite, he could be a 50 home run hitter. Like, that is definitely something. If he is healthy, if he plays an entire season, he could hit 45, 50 home runs pretty comfortably. But there is a lot of risk with taking him, and certainly where he is going in early drafts, 89 is his ADP. I can't really get behind him at that stage. And it's funny because Eloy Jimenez is also going right at 89. And I know a lot of people are hyping up Eloy Jimenez, but I just can't get behind these guys who have such an extensive injury history so early in drafts. If you're going to go for outfielders in this range, granted, it's not a great range. You have Springer at 84, who is another injury-prone guy. You have Brian Reynolds at 99, who is... We don't really know. He's he's good. We don't know if he's going to be on Pittsburgh, if he's going to be traded. I think it's likely he is going to be traded. But I think it's also kind of a little bit difficult to use a top 100 pick on Brian Reynolds. As much as I like him, it's it doesn't give me that much confidence. And as you go beyond that, a couple one guy we're going to talk about today, so I won't mention him yet, but Chris Bryant at 111, I feel pretty good, but not great. I mean, MJ Melendez at 112 here is probably your best bargain in this range, especially because he's catcher eligible as well. But in this 80 to 100 range of outfielders, because there's guys going like a bunch in the 60s, and then Schwarber's the last guy in the 60s that picks 69. And then you have the guys we mentioned, Springer, Buxton, Jimenez, Reynolds. And then, you know, that's that's kind of it there for a little while. If you're going to be picking in that range, those are the guys that are going there. And I don't feel great about any of them. Byron Buxton could potentially play more games. I just I have no faith in the guy. From tw- He's been playing since 2015. He has played eight years in Major League Baseball, and he's played 585 games. Like, it's just, it's really, really hard to put your faith in a guy like that. There was one year where he was over 100 games. It was 2017, and he played in 140. Other than that, we have 46, 92, 28, 87, 39, 61, and 92. It's just not an investment that I'm willing to make. We don't know where he's going to bat in terms of his batting average. He's been up and down. He's had years where he's been, well, he was over 300 in 2021 there for a short stretch. Not really who he is, though. I think that was kind of deceiving. He's also was over 300 in, no, sorry, that's OBP. He was at 262 in 2019, which was the second highest total he's put up. There's also been seasons in the 220s like this season. So it's kind of hard to say what you're going to be getting other than the home runs. The home runs are going to be there. Everything else is kind of a bit of a wild card with him. So he's another guy where I'm really not going to be trying to take him. I might end up with a couple of shares here and there if the price is right, because the max pick is 130. And if you get into 130 with him, there is a ton of upside there still. And I think you kind of have to take him there. But the minimum pick is 48. That's early in the fourth round of a 15-teamer, right at the end of the fourth of a 12-teamer. I can't do it. I just can't do it at that range. I'm going to be trying to draft guys. I know that we kind of have to throw out injury stuff. We don't really know what we're talking about in terms of projecting guys getting hurt. Guys are going to be healthy this year. He's not going to be healthy. We, we don't really know. But you have to kind of factor that in and go for guys who are a little bit safer. I don't think that we can take him or Springer or Jimenez and just set it and forget it. There's going to be a lot of bullshit this season, I think. Again, we don't know. But if, any, if past seasons are any indication... These guys are going to miss time, and taking the top, taking them with a the top 100 pick is not something I would really recommend. Now, you have someone like Bryce Harper, where granted he's not outfield eligible, but he is somebody where 
the upside is so great where even though he's only going to play three months, probably, we don't know still. I mean, we don't know with Bryce Harper. It might be two months. It might be one month. It might be – we don't know what he's going to miss. But you, he's somebody where he is just so good where it doesn't even really matter if he misses a couple of months or not. He's still going to be going in the top 100 for sure. I think he should be going a lot higher than that personally. But a lot of drafts, he's going lower than that. He is somebody where his production is going to be that good when he's out there that I'm going to say, okay – He's going to contribute across five categories. I, I don't really care if he misses time. Where with these guys, they're still contributors. And, you know, you could argue five-category contributor with Springer, Buxton to a lesser extent. But I just don't know that it's that high where you can say, even if they miss time, I'm going to be happy with this pick. Where if I was taking Bryce Harper at 89, even if he misses time, I'll be happy with that. But Buxton, Jimenez here specifically, I mean, I didn't mean to group Jimenez in with these guys, but that's just the way it is. I am I'm not going to be terribly interested. I just again, I mentioned it when I did the podcast from Arizona. I did it on that Friday where I was recapping some things that were said on the Thursday and one of the things was that beat the shift podcast. I've mentioned a couple times here. It's Ariel Cohen's podcast with Derek Cardi and Tristan Cockroft. And they were talking about how we can't really predict injuries. And it's true, but we also have to be a little bit careful about drafting guys so high who have such an injury background, such an injury history. We talked about it with Luis Robert before. He's going to pick 39. I just don't want to take crazy chances like that. It's just not something I think makes a lot of sense. So go for guys who have a bit more of a track record of health, even though that's not necessarily going to indicate the entire the entire season. It probably won't, but you are at least a little bit more confident drafting somebody who has never missed time or has missed minimal time as opposed to somebody like Byron Buxton who has just been injured consistently throughout his career. So for me, I'd pick 89. It's, it's going to be a hard pass on Byron Buxton. Next up, we have Giancarlo Stanton, and he was pretty expensive heading into the year. His ADP over on Yahoo was 71.6. Now, he finished the year as the 239th ranked player. There are a couple of reasons for this. He did miss time. He played in only 150 games, so some of those counting stats were a little bit lower than you might have hoped for. But the big reason here was the batting average. By far a career low, 211, also a low in on base at 297. And I think his slugging as well, yeah, at 462, he was just down across the board this season. He is getting a bit older, but I do think that it was probably something that's not going to stick in terms of the low batting average. Not to that extent. I don't think he's going to bat 210. That's just really, really low when there's been somebody who's gone so long, consistently batting 250, 260, 280, you know, as high was 288. I can't really imagine that he's going to stay this low. It's certainly possible. Uh, but I think there's a chance for, for a bit of a bounce back from Stanton. The power is still there, 31 home runs in 110 games. He drove in 78. Now, he's never been a huge guy for, for scoring runs. Last year, he only scored 64 times in 139 games. Uh, this year, he scored 53 times. Never been a huge strength of his. He's only passed 100 runs in his career twice. I mean, all those years in the Marlins, I guess, is, is a big reason for it. But he's just not a huge run producer. He's not a guy who's going to run for you. There are some things not to like about Giancarlo Stanton, but I think at his price right now, it's 145 heading into next year at this point. I think I'm pretty comfortable with him if it's if it's going to be in that range. Now, there is still a bit of risk, but when there's guys going in the same range, like Jake McCarthy, we talked about him yesterday on the pod, and then there was the Kyle Lewis trade, which is, I mean, we talked on the pod yesterday about how complicated his situation was, and then there was the Kyle Lewis trade as well, him going to Arizona. So McCarthy going the same pick as Stanton, I cannot get behind that. I'd much rather have Stanton 
This guy's like Andrew Vaughn, who is going to be kind of interesting in this range as well. Uh, but it's not a really thick zone for outfielders. Uh, Seiya Suzuki is going a little bit above him. We're going to talk about him today as well. I like him probably more than I like Stanton, but in this range, it's not the deepest little area between picks like 140 and 170, 180 even. It's not the greatest area for outfielders. So I think getting to this point and taking Stanton does make sense. I think that the batting average should go back up. We shouldn't see him bat that low again, even if it only goes up to 230 or 240. That would be a huge win considering what it was this year. There's always going to be some health concerns with Stanton, but I think they're a little bit overblown. <clears throat> 110 games this year, sure. But, I mean, when I mean, you're talking about some of the other injury-prone guys, that's not the worst. Uh, 140 last year. It's really 2019 that people think of. He played 18 games. 2020, he played 23 games. But if you look back at his career, 158, 159, 119, 74, 145, 116, 123, 150. He's not really been an injury-prone guy. He's mostly been on the field. And especially considering the fact that he is not going to be taking the field that much. I mean, he played 34 times in the outfield this year. 38 times, sorry. 34 times in right, four times in left. It should mitigate the injury risks that we have seen from him a little bit anyway during those couple of years where he did miss time. Uh, I think he'll DH predominantly and maybe exclusively, who, who we don't really know exactly what they're going to do. He'll probably play the field a little bit, <clears throat> but he's mostly just there so he can produce home runs. So that's what you're getting him for. That's what he's probably going to do. And assuming that he stays healthy, he should be able to hit you 35, close to 40 home runs. In this range where he's going around pick 145, uh, I'd be very comfortable taking him there. Now, next up, we have Nick Castellanos. Another disappointment this season his ADP was 46 on Yahoo. It was hard not to want to take him that high coming off the year that he had in Cincinnati in 2021. Uh, he had 34 homers, 100 RBIs. He batted 309. He stole three bases, you know, not a huge thing, but three bases. He scored 95 runs. It was incredible. Now, he went to Philadelphia this year. He played just two fewer games, but the stat line is completely different. 13 home runs. 13 home runs in 136 games. 62 runs driven in. He only batted 263 and he only scored 56 runs. He was down across the board this year. And for that reason, his price in these early drafts is down at 121. I'm absolutely all in on Castellanos at this point of the draft. Minimum pick 91, max 146. Maybe I wouldn't take him top 100 probably, but I think he's a prime bounce back candidate. He's never been a guy who's going to hit. I mean, it's not a crazy number of home runs to think like, oh, he only hit 13. Like, He's been more than 20 home runs most of his career. It's not to say that he's never hit like 15 home runs. He's done it a few times. But over the course of a full season, it's been a while since he's been this low. It was 2016 was the last time he was this low. He hit more home runs in the lockout shortened season, or the lockout, the pandemic, <clears throat> the pandemic shortened season, excuse me there. He had 14 home runs in 60 games. This is not the true version of Nick Castellanos that we know. A lot of people struggle in their first year in a new environment, and he did. He absolutely did. He was, I mean, he missed a little bit of time. He played 136 games, which is not quite a full season, but you're pretty much getting a full year out of him. He just never really seemed to get that comfortable. The seven steals that he had were nice. That was a career high. And I do have this weird theory, and I've heard other people say it as well, where guys who aren't producing in one area will try and find a way to produce another area. Even if they're not the fastest dude, if they're not hitting home runs, they're going to try and steal bases for you. And we saw that maybe a little bit with Ronald Acuna this year. 
didn't have quite i mean the power numbers were still good the expected numbers stat cast whatever but they didn't translate to actual home runs he was stealing some more bases than we probably expected and i think we see that with a few guys and i think we saw that a bit with castellano seven steals where the previous career high was four it was five years ago he's never been a big base stealer but i think in that situation you're looking for a way to help the team out and that's probably what he did there i wouldn't expect that to stick seven steals is probably excuse me probably about as much as we can hope for from him I think that you're probably going to see maybe two or three, but it's not really what you'd be drafting him for. I think he's just a guy who is going to provide you value, whether it comes from a lot of home runs, whether it comes from getting that batting average back up to the norm for him, which has been for the career 276. It would also be shocking to me if he doesn't exceed the 56 runs he scored this year. He didn't have as many hits as we could hope for, and therefore he wasn't on base as much, and he didn't score as much. But another year in Philadelphia to get himself settled in, I think that we'll see these numbers bounce back up. Probably not quite to what he did in 2021. That was an incredible season. He finished 12th in MVP voting. He probably could have been higher. I mean, 30, 100, and 300. That's that's incredible. Maybe he won't do that again, but, you know, 25, 85, and 280, that's, that's pretty much what I would be expecting from Nick Castellano. So I am very happily selecting him in the 120 range here. Next up, we have Tyler O'Neill, and he's definitely a bit of a sore spot for me. I picked him as my National League MVP heading into the year. I thought it was going to be a huge year for him. I thought he was a massive bargain for fantasy players at ADP 74 on Yahoo. I thought that that was great value. Uh, He did move around a little bit. I think for a while he was going in the 40s and 50s, closer to draft season. But on average, 74. He finished as the 270th ranked player. Now, last season he had 34 homers, 80 ribbies, 15 steals, and a 286 batting average. 2021 was incredible for him. He was 8th in MVP voting. He won a gold glove for the second straight year. It looked like it was going to be another big season heading into the year, but unfortunately he was injured when he was out there for a good while. He wasn't producing so much. He did eventually bounce back and have some decent fantasy value. Finished as 270th, though. I think a part of that is because he missed a lot of time, but he was also not that great when he was out there. 14 homers, 58 ribbies, 14 steals. He batted 228, and he still scored 56 runs. It really was not a banner season. It will put people off of Tyler O'Neill probably for a little while. I wouldn't be so much. I think that he's maybe going a little bit too high in these early drafts at 103. But I don't think it's crazy. I really don't. He is somebody who could return first-round fantasy value. That team is incredible offensively. Maybe we see some regression from Arenado and from Goldschmidt specifically, and maybe they're not quite as strong, but they have a pretty damn solid lineup top to bottom there. And I think you stick him in there. I think he should probably be somewhere in the middle of the order, if not the top of the order still. Uh, I don't think that he's going to be batting ninth or something or eighth. I wouldn't expect that. I think that he's going to be out there and healthy. He's going to be batting somewhere at the top of the order. And I think he should be able to return you know, somewhere, again, close to what he did in 2021. Maybe not exactly what he did in 2021, but somewhere between this year and last year is probably the true version of him. Like 25 homers, 80-some-odd runs, 80-ish RBIs, and then stealing between 10 and 15 bases for you. I think that that's probably what we can expect from Tyler O'Neill. It wasn't all bad. His walk rate went up a little bit. His strikeout rate went down a little bit. He didn't have a lot of help with Babbitt, but there are certain things you can look at and say, okay, I'm going to be back in on him for next season. I don't think that he should be, like, I don't know, there are going to be people who fade him at at whatever price just because he was bad this year, and and I understand that. 
<clears throat> I did that with Luis Castillo heading into this year because he really killed me last year as somebody that I took you know, a lot of shares of. I thought he was going to be an MVP candidate. He was not even close to that last year. So I stayed away this year, and it probably hurt me in a couple of spots. In terms of Tyler O'Neill, though, he's going to pick 104, well, 103.7, and I think it feels maybe a little bit high, but if you look at the other guys in this range, I would prefer him over a lot of them. We talked earlier about Springer, Buxton, Jimenez, all going in that 85 to 90 range, then Brian Reynolds at 100, and then Tyler O'Neill at 103. I think I would probably be going out of all those names for Tyler O'Neill, even though, yes, in the grand scheme of things, it feels a bit pricey. But if you're comparing him with the other guys that are going to be available to you between pick 70 and pick about 100, 110, he's the guy that I would have the most faith in, especially considering he's a discount. And that's been something that we have talked about this offseason a little bit, capitalizing on players who had a bit of a down year and then scooping them up the next season. I didn't take my own advice with Luis Castillo, obviously, this season. But it's something that you can really build a great team around if you're just taking, oh, this guy's going around later than usual. He's going two rounds later. It really helped me with Francisco Lindor in a lot of spots this year. He took him four rounds later than you usually would, and he was arguably somebody that won your league if you picked him in the fourth round. Maybe you picked Judge in the third, Lindor in the fourth or something. This Who knows? But Lindor returned like first-round value, borderline, I think it was 12th or 13th-ranked player. And I'm not necessarily comparing the two of them, but you're getting a guy at a discount who is capable of hitting 30 home runs, stealing 50 and 20 bases, and hitting close to 300. It also doesn't hurt that he is in one of the best lineups in all of baseball. we got to remember, he played 96 games. He still had 56 runs and 58 RBIs. The per-game production is incredible. That's not even mentioning the home runs and the steals that he is capable of. So... I think a pick 100 or a round pick 100, while there is still some risk with him, uh, I'm going to be pretty – I'm not going to say all in. I'm not going to take him everywhere, but I'm definitely going to have some Tyler O'Neill shares at that price. I think it's very, very reasonable for 2023. The last player we're going to be discussing today is Seiya Suzuki. Now, his ADP heading into the year was 145 over on Yahoo. He ended up finishing as a 306th-ranked player, but that is a little bit deceiving. He played in 111 games. If he played in a full season, I have no doubt that he would have met that ADP. 111 games, 14 homers, 46 ribbies, 9 steals, a 262 batting average, and 54 runs scored. You give him 140 games, I think he can be close to a top 100 asset, even without that much help in the lineup in Chicago. I think he can give you 25 home runs, close to that, 20 to 25 home runs. 10, 15, maybe even 20 steals. I think that's possible. You know, 15 to 20 steals from him in a full season, batting around 260, 270. I mean, the RBIs and the runs probably aren't going to be great there. Maybe you see like 75 apiece given that lineup, but, you know, 75, 25, 75, 15 to go along with a 260 average is, is valuable in any lineup. So I, I really like him. He's going at pick 143. We mentioned him earlier. He's going right around that same range as Giancarlo Stanton. And I, I think that at this point of the draft, it's going to be a really big bargain. Not maybe a massive bargain, but I think this is pretty correct for Seiya Suzuki. And I'm going to be pretty interested. I mean, you're looking at the guys going around him, which is what we've been doing here. There's Stanton. There's Jake McCarthy, who we are out on. There's Vaughn who I like, Andrew Vaughn, but I think I might go with Seiya Suzuki ahead of him. It's, it's close. I mean, that's why the ADP is close, but I think I'd go Seiya Suzuki. I'd take Suzuki over Renfro. I'd take him over his teammate, Ian Happ. I'd take him over Whit Merrifield. Uh, if you go up the board a little bit, Santander, I think, I, I think I'd take Suzuki there. I think I would take him as well over Taylor Ward. 
I think him and Christian Yelich is pretty close. There's a lot of guys who are even going 15, 20 spots above him where I wouldn't have a problem if the ADP was flipped around, really. I think that Suzuki is going to be a top 100 player, assuming he's healthy. No doubt in my mind about that. And I think that this could turn into a really big bargain. I don't think that it currently is, but we might look back on this and say, like, Jesus, Suzuki's a top 50 player. Maybe it doesn't happen, and likely not in that lineup, but the potential is certainly there. I mean, you look at the max pick, 181. If you're getting him around that range, you have to be really happy with yourself. You're getting a guy who's going to contribute. Maybe you can't say five categories because the runs and RBIs, but maybe you say four categories, combine them together. Say he's providing you four to five categories. Maybe even depending on what happens, maybe it's like four and a half categories. We don't know yet, but I think at this price, uh, I'm going to pay to find out. I'm going to be taking him around 143 all day. And just looking at the way that you can build outfielders later in the draft here, you can go for guys who are not the sexiest, and they're still going to be really valuable. I think Suzuki in the 140s here. We've talked about Nimmo at 196, Verdugo at 208, Lars Nupar at 224. I think there's a lot of value down the board here. Guriel at 255. There's a lot of guys who I think you have to be pretty excited about in this range. I know outfield does thin out, but there is some value down the board. So, While it is advisable to take a couple of outfielders in those top 100 picks, I don't think you need to be all set. And I mean, I'm talking specifically five outfielder formats. You should probably have two of them by the time you're done your top 100. But I mean, even if you don't, you can still make them up down the board here. I don't think, I mean, it is definitely a priority still. It should be something that you think about quite a bit. But there are positions like second base, like third base, like closer, like catcher, where I'm definitely prioritizing them more, specifically when you look down the board here and you see what's going past pick 250, past 300. Uh, there are still some valuable outfielders where if you're looking in the that same range generally for second base, third base, catcher, specifically closer too, I mean, there's nothing. So you, you should prioritize second and third, I think, over outfield. I mean, that's not really a hot take, but a lot of people in these, specifically in these five outfielder formats, will go heavy outfielders early. But then you're going to be missing out on your chances to get saves, to get some steals from the middle infield. There are some things that you will be lacking, and I don't think it's really that necessary. I wouldn't take zero outfield. I would take a couple of guys for sure in the top 100, but you can fill out your roster pretty handsomely with guys going pick, you know, 200 and later, and even 150 and later. If we're talking Suzuki, just about that range, uh, 145, I'm I'm very happy. And not just with him. There's a lot of dudes who have a lot of value. And I don't think that people are really, really taking it. Like, even Brendan Donovan, 322. Jesse Winker at 327. Austin Meadows at 328. There are a lot of guys who <clears throat> didn't have great years last year, necessarily. Donovan was very good. He's not to be included in that, but... Winker and Meadows could very easily bounce back and be top 100, 150 players. This is all to say that there is still some value to be had later in drafts, specifically with the outfield position. It's a position where you don't have to have it all taken care of by the time pick 200 rolls around, where with catcher, second base, probably third base as well, you probably should. Guys, that is going to do it for us for today and for the week and for the outfield as well. I really appreciate you guys continuing to check us out here. Leave a five-star review on the pod would be really helpful. Putting some kind words in the comment section would also go a long way, trying to expand the audience here. Now, I'll remind you again about the Twitter handles, at JoeOrico99 and at EthosFantasyBB. Like I said off the top, if you want to join our Discord, that is kind of our safety net in case there is something that happens. 
please do reach out to me. I will send you the invite link, or you can reach out to Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on Twitter. I'm hoping that Twitter will still be here by the next time I post a show. I think it probably will be, but just in case you guys want to stay connected with us, follow our work. Sportsethos.com is the most direct way, but also if you want to get those extra little tidbits, sign up for the Discord. It's free. There is a free, I mean, there's a paid section. There's a free section as well. Uh, but you can get in there, shoot the shit with us, and talk fantasy. Baseball, basketball, football, hockey, whatever it is. So, guys, thank you so much. We will see you again next week, and we will start with pitchers. Should be a lot of fun. Till then, take care, guys. Cheers.